0: The very reason Jesus came was to reveal the heavenly father to a planet of desolate orphans. God is an ever-loving, all-perfect, always good God. And he is better than you think. It's impossible for us to exaggerate the goodness of God. God is greater than you and I could even create in our mind. We cannot exaggerate his goodness. Oh, we could twist it. We could pervert it. We could dilute it, but we could never exaggerate it. In fact, it will take us all of eternity to even scratch the surface of the goodness of God. Ephesians 3 says, Now to God be the glory who by his mighty power at work within us, is able to do far more than we would ever dare to ask or even dream of infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, or hope. Now beyond we could ever dare to ask or dream is an impressive claim. To say God is bigger, greater, grander than we could ever So on our bravest day, on our boldest day, God is better. On our biggest thoughts, on our grandest scale, God is gooder than all of that. This idea of us asking means when we pray, our boldest prayer that we can conceptualize, when we pray with the biggest faith that we can muster, This verse tells us that God is bigger still. Even the prayers we're afraid to pray because we're like, this is too big. This is too crazy. This is too audacious. Is still not bigger than what God wants to do in our life. And when Ephesians 3 says it's beyond what all that we can dream of, It's saying God is better than all of our imaginations. All the things that we could think, could it possibly be that we have a God that's this good? It's without words, it's beyond our ability and our highest hopes, prayers, thoughts. God is that good. Psalm 119 says, you are good and what you do is good. And Psalm 107 says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, his love endures forever. So Jesus invites us into this concept that God just isn't a heavenly father, but that he is our heavenly father. Right, we've been talking about this throughout the entire week and he's our daddy, God, He's the one that speaks to us and imparts to us our identity, our purpose on this planet. He's the one that marks us and names us and counts us and every single hair on our head as well. And Jesus invites us in to this pursuit, this adventure with our Heavenly Father And he says, an adventure that is miraculous. He brings us into an adventure that is bold and brave and great and beyond. And he invites us on this adventure, this quest, really, to search out who he is. An adventure that leads us to the most intimate and mind-blowingly powerful, indescribably beautiful relationship possible. An adventure to get to know God. It's like searching the deepest mind shaft in the planet on a hunt for the most precious and beautiful of gems. Hebrews 11 says that He, meaning God, God is the rewarder of those who seek Him. And what does this reward look like? It looks like the discovery. Of him he is the discovery he is the limitless he is the endless and we are on this quest a quest that's the most valid and noble quest in the universe and this quest is to find the depths of God and even as we pursue the depths and even as we go deeper and deeper and deeper into even one quality of God, we, will, we recognize we can never exhaust it. We could spend every second on this planet, every breath in our lungs in the pursuit of just knowing one quality of God, be it his love, be it his holiness, be it his goodness, and we could exhaust every breath from now until we die and through the ends of eternity and never know fully one characteristic of our God. That's the adventure that Jesus invites us to and he is a good father. The comparison of God to the father trips some people up because we all have an experience with our father and whether our father is a good comparison to God or an inadequate comparison to God in our minds, the truth is it all falls short. Of God. And so, a lot of times, when Jesus and the scriptures refer to God as a father, it's setting it up more as a contrast than it is a comparison. And we cannot allow the shortcomings or the successes of our earthly father to affect the pursuit of our heavenly father. So, these are my sons. I adore, whom I prayed for and asked God for and wept for when they took what seemed like forever to come into my life. My sons who I love with every fiber of my being, whose very existence, just the fact that these boys exist brings me more joy than I can explain. They are my blood, my sweat, my tears. And, and I would move heaven and earth to spare them just one fraction of an ounce of pain. And I would not hesitate to run through fire to, to save them or to protect them. And I would not rest in my pursuits to find them if they should ever be lost for me for even a second. And yet, I am far, far, woefully far from a perfect parent. And if I were to do to my sons what many people think God does to his children, I would be arrested for child abuse. If I were to do to my sons what many people truly believe that God the Father does to his children, I would be arrested, arrested for child abuse. People say that God is good, yet they credit him with causing cancer. Or natural disasters that wipe out entire regions of the planet. Or or a terrorist will inflict evil through bombs or, or genocide. And people will say that was the judgment or the hand of God. And we try to cover it. We try to act like we're not blaming God by saying shady, spiritually blurry things like God didn't cause that. He just allowed it. Okay. In my way of thinking, causing and allowing as a parent is the same thing. If I caused my actions abused my sons or if I allowed by giving permission to my neighbor to abuse my sons, is it different? It is not, it is not. Is the lie from the pit of hell to say that God causes evil to display his mercy? It would be like me taking my precious five year old's arm in my hands, lovingly petting his hands and then snapping his arm over my knee to show that I am good at hugging him. Or to show that I am good at setting his bone and putting it nicely in a cast. Or to show that I am good at buying him gifts by giving him a present because he is in pain. If I did to my children what people misunderstand and twist and misinterpret God to have done to his children, I would be arrested for child abuse. But people say crazy stuff all the time, like God works in mysterious ways, that's why your parents got divorced. Or God must love you and he must trust you so much that he's allowing you to go through this test because how strong you are. That, people, is lazy theology. That is lazy thinking when it comes to the goodness of God. God cannot and does not cause evil. Directly or indirectly. Does not permit it, nor does he allow it. It is not something he causes, nor does he create it. Evil, by definition, is the absence of God. There's no such thing as evil, it's just the absence of good. It's the absence of God. There's no such thing as cold, there's an absence of heat. There's no such thing as evil, there's an absence of good. In fact, one of the only things on the planet that God could not create is evil because he cannot be absent from himself. It is a direct contradiction to who he is in his nature. Now, there's no question that God can take any situation and turn it around for his good. There's no question that God can take any tragedy and turn it around for your good. Scripture, clear, Romans 8, says that he can take anything and bring it around to his good, but that doesn't mean he was the causer of it. And it doesn't mean that it was his creation or his plan or his original intention. It means it's a situation on this planet from which he, for whatever reason, was expelled from. His good nature or his godness was removed from for some other reason. God cannot do that. God does not break things. Nor does he break people, nor does he break families, nor does he break dreams to show you that he can fix them. That's mean. And God is not mean. God is good. He is so good, and he's better, better than you think. And everything we love about Jesus is found in the Father. Because the Bible lets us know that Jesus is a perfect reflection of our Father in heaven. And everything we love and know about the Holy Spirit is found in the Father. Because the Father and the Son and the Spirit are one. And the three is one. And the reflections of each other in their perfection. They announce each other to us. And Jesus taught us above all things that the father is good and he wants us to know and to believe that he is good Matthew 7 Jesus acknowledges that our earthly parents are not perfect and he sets this up to show us by contrast how our father in heaven is perfect and how it exceeds even what we could think or imagine Matthew 7 verse 11 it's Jesus is talking and Jesus says if you then and he's talking to earthly parents, okay? If you then, you earthly parents, though you are evil, okay, I thought I was doing pretty good, apparently not. Though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Now, I wanna fixate for a minute, leave this verse up for a while. I want us to look at the, the second underlying concept, good gifts, okay? God gives good gifts. Now, this word just like, has been rolling around in my mind because it implies excellence. It implies perfection. It implies attractiveness. God is not giving you a scratchy, itchy sweater like your great aunt. God is giving you a good gift. And he is saying that our Father in heaven is willing to go beyond basic needs. It doesn't say God in heaven will give you just barely enough to get by. God does not run an underfunded orphanage. He's a father. He doesn't just say, I'm gonna give you three meals a day if I have enough rice and beans. And I hope there's a cot for you to sleep on. No, it says by contrast, Here's what you good parents, you're doing your best, you can give a gift, but how much more can your heavenly father give a good gift to those who ask for him? The other thing that is fascinating is that Jesus acknowledges it's possible for us who are evil, who miss the mark to do good things for those that we love. And he uses this to set up the contrast that that God is ultimately perfect and holy. He's never sinned in thought or action, not by accident, not on purpose. And Jesus challenges us to do this. He says, use your imagination to consider the goodness of your Father. How much more how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask? He literally says, put it back up, he literally says, how much more? So how much more? How much more? How much more? How, how much more? Jesus is saying, hey, so there's this party And you've been invited to the table. And I've been saving you a seat. And there are gifts at the party. And I want you to imagine, imagine how much more. How much more joy could you be walking in? How much more peace would your father want to give you? How much more strength? How much more hope? How much more purpose? How much more identity? How much more comfort? How much more holiness? How much more love would your father want to lavish upon you? How much more? One of the biggest truths we wrestle with in this life is is how do we view God? And Psalm 84 lets us know that the Lord is the shield and the sun. The Lord bestows favor and honor no good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. And one of the biggest truths that we're going to face in this life is how do we view God? Do we ultimately believe that God is good, that he longs to communicate with us, that he loves us, and that he has our best interest at heart? You see, because in this life, bad things happen. Evil exists, but God is good. In this life, injustice exists on the planet, but God is good. Hurt and heartache are a part of every story, but God is good. What sustains us, what carries us through the hardest moments in this life is knowing that God's presence was there, is there, and always will be there. Is knowing that God's goodness was there, is there, and always will be there. It's knowing in the depth of our heart the words of Jesus when he promised us, I will always be with you, even to the ends of the age. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Even though everyone else leaves you, I will never leave you. See, I have written your name on the palm of my hands. God That's better than you think. Exodus 33 and 34 record a story of Moses' epic adventure to discovering another layer of God. Moses prays for something that is beyond what I've ever had the guts to pray for, till tonight. A prayer so big and so audacious and so brave, and God seems down with it Moses asks God in Exodus 33 verse 18 he says let me see your glorious presence a lot of people a lot of good Christian people don't know you can pray stuff like that they don't realize that we can ask for God to do something that big but Moses did and God seemed happy with this request. Now Moses had seen God's glory before. Remember the burning bush, and the glory of the Lord appeared to Moses and the scriptures record that it lingered with him in like a tent. And in, in Exodus thirty-three eleven, it, it says that like Moses and God talked like a man talks to his friend. Many times the Bible records about how the the glory of God came down on the mountain in the form of some kind of like super epic cloud and hung out with Moses. But this time, God responded to Moses in verse 19 and it says, And he, God, said, I will make all my goodness Pass before you and I will proclaim before you my name the Lord so Moses asked for God's glory and God responded by saying hey wait a second I'm gonna do you one better I'm gonna do you one better I'm gonna show you my goodness goodness is the best parts of everything Everything that is good, that is favored, the joy, the gladness, the beauty, the kindness, the fairness, the prosperity, the wildest and widest sense of everything, the best of it all. And God is saying that he was going to reveal his goodness to Moses, that he will allow Moses to taste and see how good he is. And when this goodness came down... Moses encountered it and he discovered the goodness of God it changed him something that had never happened to Moses before happened to him in that moment when the goodness came because the Bible literally says that Moses' face became a glow you gotta read lots of the Bible but it talks about how how his face was like lit up. That's some sheer joy. You want to know what this generation needs more than anything? Some sheer joy. Sheer joy that lights up your face because from the core of you has been exposed to the goodness of God. There's not a cell in your body that can't help but radiate that goodness to the world. And I believe tonight that God wants us to make a big ask. I believe that he wants us to ask him to reveal the next level of his goodness. And even this idea is a little bit beyond our ability to comprehend but it's not beyond our ability to experience because our hearts can take us where our minds have yet to go. And our understanding is, it's always important, but often our understanding will come through what we experience. And so the Bible dares us in Psalm 34, it says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And if you'll taste it for yourself, you'll see it more clearly because God is better. He's better than you think. So this is what we need to do. This is a sacred moment. And so I don't want you to talk to your friends. I don't want you to fidget with your stuff. I just want you to get up and come down, find some space. This is not a time where it matters where your friends are standing. It doesn't matter anything. You just get to some space. get to some space down front. Because we're gonna make this audacious ask that God was so pleased with Moses about. We're gonna ask God tonight to to show us his goodness. And guess what? I don't know any more what it looks like than you do, but we'll know it when we taste it. Psalm 23 is a Psalm I've read hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. I've had memorized for two thirds of my life. The other day I read it again and just some truth exploded out of it that has just wrecked me. So I'm gonna read some excerpts from Psalm 23, and it says, The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. My cup overflows with blessing. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And when I read this Psalm for the millionth time the other day, the Holy Spirit just rose up within me and I could not write fast enough what God was speaking to me. And I believe that what God was saying to me, he's really for all of us. And so I'm gonna read it to you word for word tonight. Here's what God says, he says, I, deliberately and liberally overflow your cup. Past full without concern, don't clap, don't clap. My goodness towards you is so excessive, deliberately and purposefully excessive. I willingly enthusiastically choose to pour out my goodness and unfailing love upon you without thought or consideration of expense extravagance it drips down it runs over and I am unconcerned with the mess others look on and judge this lavish display this mercy and goodness they think could have been spared for another but I am unconcerned with their scoffing instead I choose this excess and give no thought to having spent it in other uses I want to fill your cup to overflowing I want your cup to run over. I never want you to concern yourself with lack when it comes to my goodness, says Lord. I never want to hesitate for you to request more of my goodness as if somehow your asking is putting me out or lessening my available supply or creating a shortage for others, the mess. The puddles of overflow only further illustrate my goodness. Let the overflow puddle. Let the puddles run like rivers for my goodness and unfailing love towards you is without limit. Drink deeply for it is all yours. Without limit or restraint or restriction, the anointing, the feast, the joy, the blessing, the goodness, The fullness, the mercy, the favor, the rest, the pasture, the peace, the strength, the endurance, the table, and the cup. And when I heard the Lord speak that to me, and I recorded it for you, this response came from me. And I believe that this is the response that we will have now to the goodness of God as we press in and ask him to show us a new side of him. I responded with this. It chased me down and knocked me over. Your goodness pursued me. It chased me down and wrapped me up in the warmest of hug and melted my heart like the taste of a chocolate chip cookie fresh from the oven. Like a giant puppy, it attacked me. With lavish and loving kisses. And the sweetest and most sincere of promposals. His goodness invited me into a love so wild and true. So adventurous and thrilling. The best of all that is good. The fairest of all that is beautiful. The tastiest of all that is delicious. The joy of all that is the deepest belly laugh. The elation of the unexpected celebration won by the underdog in the final seconds before the last buzzer is the goodness of God. It is a treasure so valuable, it's worth undeterminable, and I could spend every second of my life on this planet going after it, and yet it, the goodness pursues. Me, it's the goodness, chases me, it runs over for me. Let's go after it.